You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out Race92.com to see the many different shirts and other merchandising options we offer. Also, make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else our podcast is found. I'm your co-host, Aaron McAtee, our other co-host. You may have seen him walking out of a great clips with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him on a dirt track. He is the one, the only Scott Bowie. Hey, Scott. Hello, Hello, Aaron. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Well, you look fantastic. And our our viewers don't know this, but we just recorded um, an amazing podcast. Yeah, that's an understatement. Um, and then also, as, as you said during the podcast, um, this individual made me really happy by just recording a nice little three to four second clip. Yeah, we'll play that for uh, people later on. Oh, yes, but, we uh, will. This, this made, uh, the one we just did made Aaron's, I'd say year, easily his year, if not his last decade. Last decade. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but... Without further ado, not to take away, you know, from from this episode we're about to play, um, our guest today is Danny Thompson. Um, and for those who don't know, his dad is um, was the um, famous Mickey Thompson. He raised um, Drax. He he did a lot. Of, he, he did trophy truck racing in Baja. You know, he was an innovator. They have the Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group. He, that man was involved in a lot, and it was definitely really cool to hear kind of the story from his son and also his son Danny he holds a land speed record um and he you know he's an accomplished racer himself so it was definitely just really cool to kind of hear all sides of those stories from from Danny yeah you know and this was a guy I wasn't too familiar with obviously everybody's heard of his father right. um but Danny was a, a great interview and such a great personable guy and uh it really got me into land speed uh cars again which is something as a kid i was kind of fascinated with and then i just kind of the land speed thing um was kind of bigger in the 60s and 70s well you know i was growing up in the 70s there was uh you know you'd hear about it but over the years you don't hear about as much and it was kind of cool to kind of get reacquainted with that a little bit and kind of what they go through and the car he did it with was actually his father's car and um, just such a great, uh, talk and he's such a, like, like I said, personal guy and, uh, just, it was really entertaining and, uh, I, I, for one really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, great interview. He's a great guy. I met him, um, over a year ago at SEMA and actually, so this was one of the first, um, interviews we actually did with a podcast and kind of when we started the podcast was in May. Um, so that's why we've kind of pushed it back um, several weeks, because obviously during May, we want to kind of hit on a bunch of the, you know, old indie drivers and stuff like that. Um, so we finally found a good time to release this one. And yeah, super excited about it. And I definitely think everyone will enjoy it. Yeah, I do too. And, and you know, I didn't realize how much racing he had done in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And he, he lets he talks about that quite a bit. And he talks somewhat about his father and um, just things in general. And it's just, um, I, I mean, this is a guy I, I'd like, you know, I'm excited to meet, you know, someday in person and, and get to know him. And 
Aaron and I are talking about going to uh, the Salt Flats and, yeah. and going to actually watch him uh, the next time he runs, uh, tries to break uh, land speed record. So hopefully that'll happen. And uh, I think we will probably be there. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people, when people say like, oh, yeah, you know, come out and, and you know, and, and check us out and, you know, hang out. Most people are going to be like, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we said the same thing, but I'm 100% serious. Like, if he goes back there and run, I will actually go. Yeah, I'm going. As long as I'm able to go, like, I will 100% go. I'm not just saying that. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I'm absolutely uh, going unless something happens, you know, right. that unforeseen. Um, uh, he definitely got me interested enough that yeah. and he was such a, again, personal guy. That, oh, a great guy. Yeah. You know, I'd like, you know, it, it'd be cool to hang out there and watch him do their thing. Absolutely. And just, I mean, I, I've seen top fuel dragsters, and I, I can't even imagine seeing, I mean, those, especially, I mean, you're talking about, like, the, the jet engine cars that go, like, what, over 800 mile an hour? I can't even imagine that. That's just Yeah, nuts. I can't I can't either. And, and uh, you know, he was, the car he had, had, uh, I forget how many motors, um, had uh, at least two engines, I think, right. or four, two or four, I don't remember how many. Um, but in the technology it takes to do that, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not just driving a straight line. It, it's very technical, very difficult. Oh. And, uh, and he gets into that a little bit, just a little bit, uh, the, some of the things you kind of go through as a driver. And, um, but yeah, I was, it was, it was one of those interviews, uh, you just don't know someone until you talk to them type of thing. And you don't know um about something until you learn about it and it was just uh for me again informative and interesting and and really got me excited to go watch him do his thing oh yeah absolutely but yeah i think without any further ado we'll just jump right into um danny thompson interview absolutely our guest today held the overall piston-driven land speed record with a speed of 448.75 mile per hour in the refurbished Challenger 2 in 2018 and is the son of legendary Mickey Thompson. Please welcome Danny Thompson. Hey, Danny, how's it going? Good, guys. Uh, glad to be here and uh, glad to uh, be on your show. Yeah, hey, no, we Danny. definitely uh, appreciate you being on, especially since we, we only have one episode released so far. So definitely thank you for kind of taking a chance with us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I watched you know, watched your guys' uh, first episode in there with uh, Mr. Jones, Junior, <laughs> Junior, Junior. And, That's right. Uh, yeah, no, if, if I can help like like that, I mean, I love to see, you know, uh, this stuff like this, and especially, you know, you guys, you know, covering all aspects of racing. So that covers covers a wide gamut, and Bonneville is certainly at one end of that gamut. Yeah, but then obviously, um, your dad was involved um, with all different forms of racing, so. Um, that's something definitely really cool. He did, uh, he did, he did a lot and, uh, you know, he was not afraid to jump into, you know, anything different. So, I mean, from drag racing to indie cars, to boat racing, to airplanes and, uh, yeah, he, uh, he kind of had his hand in all of it. You, um, in doing research for the show, I, I, um, because I have to sadly admit, I didn't know that much about you and i wanted to make sure i could talk fairly intelligently um i just uh of course of course while we're doing that I, of course i'm gonna see stuff with your father and and um man as influential as i knew that he was i, I had no idea of so much of the stuff he had done and 
just from even something like a Christmas tree light for drag racing. Um, and I, it, what struck me is, um, now did you, you said that he got interesting, interested in Bonneville as a child, just on vacation. That's, that's absolutely right. He went uh, on vacation with his dad and his mother and his sister and they stopped at Bonneville and, and I got pictures of him. I think there's on my website of him standing there with his, with his dad. And I don't know how old he was at seven, eight, nine years old or something. And, and just fascinated with it right then. And, and he said, I mean, how do you set a goal when you're nine years old? But that's kind of what right. he did. You know, he wanted to go to Bonneville. He wanted to be yeah. the baddest man up there and uh, he did make it happen. That's, uh, you know, and, and had your grandfather, was he ever interested in uh, cars or that? Or was that just something that your father just, man, once he got the bug, he got the bug. Yeah, my grandfather was a cop. And uh, so, yeah, didn't it was, you know, that's when, you know, back in those days, that was in the early 50s and stuff. And, you know, street racing was kind of problematic and stuff that, you know, before people really started getting drag race drag races going and that kind of stuff. So now there was no, uh, that was just all my dad. Wow. You know, he got through high school with, you know, fixing teachers' cars and doing <laughs> head jobs and stuff on, on cars. And my mom, uh, my mom got him, ended up, they weren't married yet, but she did all his homework and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. And, you know, he, he traded out the stuff with teachers and, you know, got through high school, but, you know, never went to college, uh, you know, never went any further education. So he was an engineering genius for sure but he no academic training or any of that he just he just had that knack you know and i mean so many things for safety and you know drag race safety and like you said christmas tree light and you know i mean going to indianapolis as, as a california hot rodder you know i mean there's there's some pretty big steps i mean going 400 miles an hour in 1960 with a, a car him and fritz Voigt built you know in in his garage behind his house so yeah pretty amazing man yeah, any, I, I would definitely say anyone that, you know, would do like what you said. He was a hot rodder, came to Indianapolis, you know, entered in the Indy 500, a car that he built. Um, it, it just takes, you know, you have to be able to take chances. And obviously, you know, his, the tire company and everything, it's just kind of having the entrepreneur mind and just willing to take chances. Yeah, yeah, he did it. I mean, yeah, he and he did it all. And I think... You know, one of the big advantages that my dad had was he wasn't afraid to fail. So he, he wasn't afraid to jump in there and try something new. Right. Uh, he'd figure it out. You know, it might not figure it out the first time, but, you know, he, he would figure it out. So, yeah, like I said, a pretty uh, my hero, that's for sure. That, um, so, and it's kind of, you kind of alluded this, to this uh, a moment ago. There really is something about that generation, about just just that can do like, Hey, I can make that better. I, yeah. Hey, I want to do that. I got to figure out how to do it. And then they just did it. Um, I mean, I, and like this, this man, like you said, he didn't have an engineering degree, but he is like tires. I mean, tires are for, you know, tires to some people look like just black round objects, but right. to racing people, there is a lot that goes into a great tire. Oh boy. And, uh, and uh, just the fact that, you know, his drag racing tires and then his off-road tires were so, you know, so advanced. It just, man, it just says a lot. It, it's really, it's really pretty amazing. 
Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, it, and I mean, when he went to the speedway, I mean, he built his own tires for the speedway, you know, but, and like you say, the drag racing thing. And I mean, part of the big deal of the Becky Thompson off-road tires, it was like the side biters. So not only the traction on the bottom, but he put, he basically put what he called side biters on the side that could grip. We were stuck in Baja and a sand wash and, um, I got in the car and I'm trying to drive out and he's, and he's pushing, which didn't happen very often. Mostly I pushed, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's looking, he's watching the tires spin. He's going, boy, if I put, if I put something on the side to help traction on the side, um, you know, that would work. So it's just, it was that mind always, you know, always generating, always, always doing things. And I'm back at the speedway in those days, it was so cool because people could come out and do things build their own cars, Quinn Epperly building cars. And I mean, all these famous mechanics and stuff, building stuff from scratch. You know, it's not like now where you, you know, you go get a, you go get a car from whoever. And if something breaks, you go to the truck and you get a new A-arm or, you know, something like that. Back then they were inventive. My dad was one of the first, uh, first persons with a rear engine car at the speedway, you know, and here's this California hot rodder drag racer that goes to the speedway with the engine on the wrong end. (laughs) Right, right. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, who is, who is this guy? And a stock block. I mean, he went back there the first year in 62 uh, with a Buick with uh, and Dan Gurney drove for him, you know, and, and they actually did really well. They broke, I think, on with 10 laps to go or something. And, you know, it would have been a, a top 10 finish first year in a Oakville car. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm proud of the guy. That's for sure. Well, yeah, you should be. I mean, that's that's just I it just for people who don't know and, and we won't even be able to scratch the surface of what Mickey Thompson did in his life. As far as auto racing, just go do some research and you'll see that he, uh, many of the things you take for granted today, he was the person who came up with them or had a hand in it. Um, and, but you, you know, so we kind of were talking earlier about the Bonneville and you were talking about building that car, that first car, the first challenger kind of let people know how that car was built. So um, when I went to Bonneville, I always wanted to go to the Speedway and drive. That's all I ever wanted to do my whole life is drive yeah. the Speedway. Well, that never happened. You know, I drove, I drove Formula Atlantic and Super V and was fortunate enough to do uh, fairly well in both of those and off-road cars and all that stuff. So Bonneville wasn't that big of an interest to me, although Bonneville's what put my dad on the map and the family on the map, you know, when he went 400 miles an hour in 1960. Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't allowed to race when I was young. So let me back up a little bit. I, I raced when I was nine and 10 years old in quarter midgets. And um, then uh, somebody got in a crash one night. My dad my dad built Lion Strike Strip in Long Beach, California when he was like 28 years old and he managed it and everything. And they put a quarter, my dad put a quarter midget track in. And so I was racing quarter midgets and, and we did okay. You know, we had a lot of fun, you know, little kids and quarter midgets. And uh, one night somebody uh, got upside down and broke their leg broke their leg or their back. I can't remember which, which way it went. And somebody went, my dad was running the drag strip on kind of on the other side. And somebody went running over to my dad and said, Hey, Danny got upside down and he's hurt real bad. And so my dad came running over there and uh, got there and I had won the race and I was standing there with a little trophy girl and I had my (laughs) trophy and I was smiling proud. And my dad took the car away, sold it on the spot and said, you'll never ever race again in your life. So that was it for me for my racing career. It was over at 10 years old. <laughs> well, when I was 18 years old and I left the house, uh, I started racing motorcycles and that stuff. But my dad was totally against anything. 
And so Bonneville and all that kind of stuff was just kind of off, you know, off the page. So everything I did in my early career, I did on my own with no help from my dad. You know, I mean, I was racing Atlantic and, you know, I'm out there on, on tires that are wore out and, and, you know, I, I didn't have any help. So anyway, we did it all on our own. And, and, but finally in 1988, my dad came to me and he said, because uh, I, I mean, I had a career. I was, you know, I was going and, and things were happening. And he said, um, I want to go back to Bonneville. So let me let me back up a little bit here so it doesn't sound so confusing. So in 1960, my dad set the record or he didn't set the record, but he went over 400 miles an hour. First American over 400. Then in 1968 with Ford, he built the, Chall the Challenger 2 or at the time it was called the Autolite Special to go back up. And the Summers brothers had gone. 409 in 1965 and so they had the official record in the fastest american and you know, that kind of stuff so my dad built a car in 68 with ford to go back and uh and get that record well uh got it all done and that's the same year they were up there my dad and danny and Gaius were up there with the introduction of the 1969 ford uh mach 1 mustang and they set over 280 was it 280 or 380 i don't remember Anyway, a ton of records at Bonneville yeah. and uh, to introduce that new Mustang. And he built this new land speed record car. And uh, that was the Autolite Special slash Challenger 2. Well, got it all, struggled with it a little bit with steering, some other issues, got it all done and ran late in the year and finally got the bugs sorted out and lined up on the salt uh, all ready to go in the morning. You know, first thing in the morning, you want to go when there's no wind and stuff and it rained. So that was 68. And so they were going to go back in 69. Well, in 69, Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, they all quit racing, basically, at least publicly quit racing, said, you know, race on, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, you know, that's out. You know, the bean counters kind of shut all that stuff down. So that car sat in a trailer and went in a trailer. And my dad went on to do, you know, all the other kind of things that he did. And so that car set, well, then whatever it was. So in 1988, 88, my dad came to me and he said, I want to run that car. Now, we, my dad and I were at odds for a lot of years because he wouldn't let me race and I was still doing it. So there was, there was conflict. And uh, so he came to me and said, I'm going to run that car again. And I said, well, that's, that's bitching, you know? <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, well, he said, I'd like to have you drive it. And like right now, me just saying that the the hair stands up on my arm. Right, sure. And so we made a deal to drive it. And uh, three months later, my dad got killed. And so that car went back in a trailer, and it was in a trailer for, you know, another, whatever, twenty years or something. And so my wife Valerie, uh, were sitting there talking, and it was kind of like, you know, I wonder if I have that car in my shop. It's just sitting in my shop. I'm walking around it. It's 76 steps around it. And I'm walking <laughs> around that car you know, for these years. And and I'm always thinking, you know, but I was racing other things. I drove for Chevrolet for, I think, eight years in off-road stuff. And then I drove for Ford. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know, and I asked I asked my wife, I said, you know, well, I wonder if this car go 400 miles an hour, you know, like like it was built to do, but never did. And And it was kind of like, you know, I don't want to be 80 years old, sitting on the couch, wondering, I wonder if that car would have gone 400 miles an hour. So that was it. It was dropped everything, whatever it took to make it happen and, and started doing it. So when we did go 448 mile an hour, two-way average in 
2018, that car was 50 years old. So, um, you wow. know, it didn't have all the latest technology and traction control and that stuff. Right. But, uh, you know, we updated everything. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was that was a fun, fun, fun project. So now we'd like to do another one. If we can find <laughs> the money, we'd like to build another one and see if we can go faster. Piston. So what year? So what Piston. year was it? So what year was it that you decided that you were going to kind of take a stab at it again? Um, obviously, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, 2010. Go ahead. 2010. OK, yeah. so so it took um, because you guys went for in 2016, right? You was that the first year you actually ran a Bonneville with that car? 2014 was the first year we ran. Yeah. And uh, and we ran. I mean, the very first pass on that thing, very first five mile an hour pa- or five mile pass, because that's how long the track is. Uh, we went 390, I think 392 on a like a 392.5 mile an hour record, you know. But the very first pass, I mean, that that thing stood up and and it made it to the other end pretty quick. So and I think the second run we ran was 419, and then we start then we started having some issues and you know we had some uh, some engine issues and stuff like that. You know, I mean, in 20, so we set we did set the record in. 2016 at 406.7 now my dad ran 406.6 in 1960 so after whatever that was 50 for 48 years or 46 years we kicked his ass <laughs> okay so you say you started the project again in 2010 so can you give us a little bit of idea of like how much work like you know went into it to go from 2010 to 2014 i mean was this like an everyday like project like daylight to dusk i'm sorry daylight to dark like working on the car or kind of what was involved with that that was seven days a week everything we had uh the first i think three years i three years two and a half years i worked on it just by myself and uh you know there was no money so Mm -hmm. i mean i built a frame fixture for the thing and uh, i think it took three months later before I could afford to buy wheels for the frame fixtures so I could roll it around. So it was, it was a struggle. There was no, uh, no money at first and, and just me. And, uh, I built a lot of stuff in my life, you know, cause I'm a fabricator by trade. So I built Indy cars and, and, you know, off-road cars and all that stuff. So, so I had the, I had the, the talent to do it, but I wasn't really confident enough to go into something else that was so radically different and you know just like jump in there and do it so like i was struggling trying Mm -hmm. to learn the things and bonneville is so much different than than any other place in the world and what you do and i mean it's all about traction up there and you think about the cars like this you're running on a tire that's only four inches wide that's what we ran that's got 100 pounds air pressure in it so like the initial spring rate even to to even get that tire to be compliant to the salt uh, it's really hard to figure out. Uh, it's like driving on snow in the wintertime. That's mm-hmm. how slippery it is up there. So getting traction is like, so it was all of these things I was trying to figure out. And then um, after a while, Mickey Thompson Tire came on board um, for some money and I could hire somebody. I had hired a guy named Frank Hanrahan and a really, really good fabricator. And then it was him and I, then we got another guy named Lou and anyway, we we started this thing. So it took from 2010 to 2014, you know, till we were ready to run. So I had the car, but there was nothing in it. It was a shell. 
And the car is the car is the same. We basically the outside, the, the body, the skin, and all that stuff that Knife Frank and Tom Job uh, built, you know, at my dad's shop back in in '68. All that was the same. Uh, new, different engine combination. We had Ford single overhead cam motors in it. Uh, that's what my dad ran in. Uh, normally aspirated one in the front and a blowing one in the back. Um, and then you set in between the two. Normally aspirated in the front because you couldn't put a blower on because then you couldn't see over the top of it. So, um, so he, in fact, he had, the guy was crazy. He had <laughs> a throttle pedal in the thing that was split. So if he thought the rear engine was spinning versus the front engine, he would roll his foot from one oh, side wow. to the other, right? And that's the first thing I took out. I'm going, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to work something like that, you know, but we, uh, <laughs> yeah. we, so when we went back, we put, uh, Hemi's in it and they were aluminum block Hemi's, uh, Brad Anderson block and, and still fat heads and injected. And so I didn't want to have the horsepower difference. So my dad had, uh, 1800 horsepower between the two engines and we had 3000 horsepower each. So, um, wow. you know, then I got, so I was a 6,000 horsepower sandwich. That was, that was in the end when we finally set the big record, we had that cause that's when we started pouring nitro in it and boy, that nitro <laughs> stuff, it's bad. Ooh, that stuff's <laughs> it's delicious, man. That makes it <laughs> go. It shortens a fuse, but that makes stuff happen. It's, uh, so you were talking about your run. Um, and there is video on, um, YouTube of the run from inside the car. Kind of take us through that. Uh, it looks like it got a little exciting at one point. My son, Travis, he, uh, my son, Valerie and Travis, my son, Travis and my wife, Valerie, big supporters and big part of the crew. And Valerie ran the, ran all the people and the, you know, the crew and all the guests and all that stuff. So big part of what Travis says, I'd like to put a camera on the steering wheel. I said, no, nah, that's silly. You know, that, that <laughs> wouldn't work. And, and you saw the video. It was fantastic video. But so uh, our first run in 2018 was 446 miles an hour. And the thing got a little bit sideways when I shifted from first to second. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't too it wasn't too bad. So we ran 446, which was really, really good. Uh, way, way over the record, which was our own record at 406 for the fuel injected class. And uh, so the second run, our, our engine builder, uh, RC uh, Catton, and we had another guy, Craig uh, Johnson and Rick Hurt, uh, Kurtz. And so I said, I'd really like to run more nitro. Well, we started at 50% nitro and we were up then at uh, 84%. And that's when then babies really, they start barking. And so <laughs> I said, I want, I'd like some more nitro. Got to be nice to the engine guys, you know. And uh, <laughs> He says, okay, so he gave me three more percent, right? You think 3%, on a, 3% is nothing, right? 3% is massive, massive in, in those, when you start running those kind of numbers. And when I left the starting line on the final run, uh, I, as soon as I picked the throttle up, I says, oh my gosh, I got a tire <laughs> by the tail now. I mean, that it was just unbelievable. And you can't, you can't get on the throttle hard because mm -hmm. you got this four inch wide tire. Now it's four wheel drive, so we got four of them, but that's not, you know, that's much, not much on the ground. And, uh, but that baby took off and, and she was just cooking. And we were, I think the first mile, we were 18 miles an hour faster than the day before. So the thing, the thing was scooting. 
And anyway, when it got up, got into high gear, three-speed uh, B&J transmission, and got into high gear, shifted that thing, and everything was nice. And at 430 miles an hour, we had uh, what well, we figured it ended up being is we had a 12-mile-an-hour crosswind that came across the salt. Wow. There's a big dip in the mountains, and you'll get wind that comes through that mountains. And it's usually about at the four-mile mark, depending on where the course is laid out. And that wind came in, and that baby jumped sideways. And uh, I'm thinking, here we are, uh, last run, no more money. We're not coming back. This, this is it. And the absolute thing you do at Bonneville when the car gets sideways, you pull the parachute. Because what that does is center, separate the center of uh, gravity from the center of pressure and gives us some stability. And it'll you know straighten it out. Well, it was kind of like, I don't know how you can think like that. At, you know, you're going two and a half football fields every second. You know, so maybe right. you're scooting at 400 something miles an hour. And it was like, do you lift? Well, you should lift, but nah, <laughs> we're not lifting. You know, we're not going home without this record. We've been trying too hard. Anyway, the thing, you know, it went lock to lock three times at 430 miles an hour. And on the third time, it was coming, it came back slower when it came back. And I thought, hmm. Uh, I picked the throttle back up and the thing, the thing straightened out. We went through the traps at 459 mile an hour, so uh, a 448 wow. uh, mile time and a 440 or a 450, uh, yeah, 450 mile time. So anyway, it was a, a two way average of 448. So yeah, it was. Uh, do you throw it away or uh, you know, you'd be stupid and leg it? So we'd be stupid and we legged it. Yeah. So uh, when you're so sorry, Scott. I was just going to say, uh, anybody watches that video, you can hear him start rolling the pedal a little bit. Just trying right. to let the tires catch, and uh, be it's it's very impressive to watch. It's good. <laughs> it was good when it was over. Right. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. So when so when you're going 450 mile an hour at Bonneville, I mean, can you really tell you're going 450? Like, does 350 feel different than 450 at Bonneville? I mean, there's really no like landmarks, you know, like you said, mountains, but you know, it's not like going at you know IMS or something. You have mile markers. And mm -hmm. every mile you have a big sign that's, you know, four foot by four foot and it has a, a three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And you, you pull the parachute at the five. Uh, so they time you between the two and the three, the three and the four and the four and the five. And of course, our fastest time would be, you know, between the four and the five. But um, when those mile, when you're going uh, a mile uh, every seven seconds or something, whatever the number. Yeah, you, you can tell because those right. mile markers start going. You know, wow. I mean, they, they can't start, imagine. They start, yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, maybe from, you know, 250 to 350, you know, a little bit. But yeah, when you're sailing, when you're sailing on that other end, and I tell you, when that thing, uh, when that thing jumped sideways and we got it straight and we legged it on into the end, I was a happy camper when I got to that <laughs> five and started pulling that parachute. But we don't have uh, like all the latest, latest technology and uh, I have to take my hand off the steering wheel and shut the fuel off because the only way you can shut those uh those nitro motors off is by you know killing the fuel the mag doesn't shut the mags off but it doesn't do anything so you shut the fuel off so you got your hands on the steering wheel and take your left hand off the steering wheel at five push both fuels off and then grab hold make sure you're still going straight and then take the other hand off and pull the parachute and then wait for the hit when that hit comes uh it feels good because now you know you're going to stop because I had some parachute failures at over 400 miles an hour, 440 Ooh. miles an hour. And uh, like 
you're waiting for that hit and it doesn't happen and you're going, what's, what's happening here? What's happening here? Well, by that time you've won a couple football fields, you know, and it's like, Oh, the parachute didn't come out. I better hit the backup, you know? So it's, 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 it's totally different. Everything you know about racing that you learned about in sprint cars, when I drove sprint cars or off-road cars or uh, formula cars, all that stuff. You just basically throw all that stuff out the window and, and start over with, with a clean, you know, a clean mind and, and not try to figure it all out like that. So yeah, Bonneville, it's, it's a great place. And I tell you the thing that's so cool about Bonneville and I'm rambling on here, but uh, when you go to Bonneville, you might be in line with somebody that's going to run. Well, you have to be in the one line. You have to be able to run 175 to get in that line or the other line. But these people come up there and maybe they're a doctor or maybe they're a plumber or an electrician or whatever they are. And all year long, they work for that one week because Bonneville, you only get to basically run in the month of August because like right. right now, it's a lake. So in this people come up with different things like you might have the greatest idea in the world, Scott, or, or, you know, that you want to do this or that, or Aaron, you guys are partners and you want to do this and that. Nobody's ever done that before. And maybe it's the dumbest thing in the whole world, <laughs> or maybe it's the smartest thing in the whole world, but it's your deal and you can go run it. And, and so all these people, so whether you're running, you know, for 57 mile an hour record on a, on a 50 CC motorcycle, or whether you're going, you know, 450 on another car, it's just, Good people. Uh, there's no money up there. I mean, there's no money. You don't. You don't win anything. You win a trophy, and I got a black hat for the 400 mile an hour club. So I mean, there's none. None of there's not the big corporate sponsors and all that stuff. So it's just good people going up, and you know, they might go from five years. They might go two miles an hour faster, but they're going back up there, and it's their deal. So it's it's pretty darn cool. Where's the, the uh, where's the popularity of that stand right now? Because you know, obviously, like I feel like back in the '60s and '70s, you, you used to hear a lot about Bonneville, and then uh, there was a certain part through the '80s, and then it just feels like it's kind of tapered off. Are, are the are the those people the still the die? Uh, I shouldn't even say diehards, but the the people who just want to go that mile an hour faster, two mile. Are they still coming out or? Yeah, yeah, they're still coming out. I mean, Bonneville will get 600 entries. For oh, okay, week. that's yeah, awesome. So it's and that's and usually there's four courses. So you have a rookie course, and then you have courses that you can't go over 175 miles miles an hour on. So yeah, you still have it. Uh, most of us up there are pretty ancient, and we'd like to see some new blood come in. But you know, you can run anything you want. There's so many classes. I mean, mo you want to go up on a motorcycle? You want to run? I mean. There's motorcycles that have uh, gone 400, and I think the record is 376 miles an hour on a motorcycle, streamlined motorcycle. So, uh, or if you want to run your 50cc motor, you know, and go 55 miles an hour. So, so there's so many. You cannot be imaginative enough to right. come up there. I mean, there's so many classes and so many things, and like I said, the people are, are good people. So to answer your question, the popularity in the 60s, like when my dad ran and Craig Breedlove ran and the Summers Brothers and uh, Al Teague and these guys. So those days were probably more the heyday of it. But like I said, they still get, you know, they'll get a 600 entries up there uh, on a big Bonneville Speedweek deal. So, oh, but there's great. also, now there's like, in, so we ran in 2014 and, uh, we came back in 2015, a year to get everything ready, all up there. 
get up there. The whole crew's there. We're sitting there at dinner um, the night before everything, you know, starts. And uh, all of a sudden hear this pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And then the rain just comes down. We didn't get to run for, we didn't get to run Bonova for almost 500 days because it rained and it turned it into a lake. So if you imagine, to kind of give you an example, if uh, sitting at a table, if you take a bottle of water on a flat table and pour it on there, that one bottle of water, take that whole table up. Mm-hmm. That's like Bonneville is. It's so flat up there. You can see the curvature of the earth. So a little bit of rain wow. will just, it'll flood the whole thing and you'll be out for a year. And we waited, you know, we waited for a whole year before we ran again. And, or it can rain four inches and the wind will blow like heck. And the place is so flat, it'll blow all the water to the other end and you can run the next day. So it can be, you can't control that part. Mother nature, mother nature's got way more horsepower than all of us. She doesn't want you to run, you're done, you know. <laughs> so you were talking about all different types of like people, you know, Dennis and whatever running at um, Bonneville. So is there any type of like qualifications you have to have to like enter a car or could someone like Scott just show up with a car and run? You can just show up and run as long as you, whatever class that you've entered, as long as you pass the technical, uh, you know, go through scrutineering and, mm-hmm. and all that. And yeah, anybody can run. So now you can't go fast at first. You have to, you have to have licensing passes. So oh, you have to right. go. Okay. And I can't remember what they are. Uh, 125, 150, 175. And they have like a D license, a C license and a double A license. I think you can go. I think I'm double A, uh, but anyway, over over 350 or something like that. So you gotta you gotta pass each one, and then you have to go to uh, um, what's his name Lee Kennedy, and he has to sign off and, and say yeah you. So you take your timing slip, and you know they say yeah, and you didn't spin. Now if you spin, you know then then you start over again. So um, and it's it's easy to spin up there. Like I said, it's like driving on snow. So Scott. One of those uh, midgets or sprint cars or something. Uh, who was running up there last year? Damien Gardner. Damien Gardner. Damien Gardner went up there. And they went built pretty, the pretty car, fast. Yeah. But he, he spun a bunch of times. Yeah. yeah well, he, you, know, you know how good he is at going sideways. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it was, is I believe, and I haven't talked to Damien about this, so I could be wrong. Hmm. Um, but I believe what was happening was packing air underneath the tail. Yeah. He was making it stand up. I forget how fast he was trying to go, um, but they would get to a certain point and then it, it'd start picking the rear tires up. Yeah. So I, I drove a Mustang for Ford and Brent Hike. And um, what year was it? I don't know, 2011 or something like that before I started doing the Challenger 2 project. And I didn't know anything about aerodynamics or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I uh, didn't know anything about center pressure pressure versus center of gravity and so i was in a mustang and 264 miles an hour and uh, over the record and the same thing happened tail lifted up that thing leaped sideways it went 25 feet in the air it oh. flew 1100 feet and rolled six times oh. it was uh you know it was one of those you know as you, there's there's in-car video of that thing too on on youtube under under danny thompson or thompson lsr and it shows the thing, you know, my helmet, uh, the visor is opening and closing and, and you're seeing ground air, ground air, ground air. I think it went through the five mile. I think it, it flew at the four mile. It went through the five mile upside down on the roof at 248. So 
yeah, the place can the place can bite you too. You know, when you think you that's once again you think the thing got sideways, and I said that's okay. I've driven sprint cars, you know, I've driven right. all this different stuff. I'm an off road guy. Sideways is good. I love sideways. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> what so, uh, didn't hurt me, so I was lucky, but it threw the car away. What? So, I mean, it's such a violent. I mean, obviously, such a violent crash. Um, did you have any type of in- injuries or concussion Nothing. or anything? Nothing. Everything. Wow. Everything. Wow. I had a couple of holes in my leg where some, you know, little pieces went through it. Just small, but uh, no, I got out. You know, they put me in in the the ambulance, and you know, they asked me all the typical questions. You know, who's the president? You know, how are you? And, you know, all that stuff. And you're going, I'm good. And But uh, I drove the truck and trailer and all the stuff home the next day. So the, the car was junk. It was it was a throwaway. So Brent put it in his museum. I think it's laying in there upside down. Do you uh, you didn't even have the red eye, huh? No, I didn't have a red eye or anything. And, and it uh, I think uh, we had a you know, what kind of computer system. I can't remember what we had in there, but I think it, it saw some ungodly number like 62 g's or something oh wow but, um, wow i was black and blue and i was oh, sore for sure but yeah i didn't have the red eye it didn't it didn't violently flip like a sprint car does you know okay. but it was doing these slow rolls in the air and if you watch the video on it you can see you know i mean it all happened fast for sure but but not not violent like a sprint car does so they they hurt you <laughs> yeah at, uh, it's funny you were talking about the Ask Ellis questions. I was at uh, Salem with uh, Critter Malone, which is Shim Malone's son, you know. And uh, I used to go help him, and uh, he crashed one time at Salem. It, it was a hard one. And uh, he's kind of knocked woozy, and they started asking those questions. And this guy asked me, like, are, you know, do pink cows have purple calves or something <laughs> like that? And, and Critter goes, man, I don't know where you come from, but where I come from, no. <laughs> so yeah. i always thought that was funny yeah, yeah that's, that's funny stuff so yeah. but uh that's um so you said that you've run other things and uh, done a lot of other things what um i did see where you you ran the truck series or the off-road trucks for a while too do you do the desert racing and all that as well later in years or I did the desert racing earlier in my years with my dad. Um, now, he wouldn't let me drive, but he right. let me ride. You know, so I rode with him for a number of years and, until, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I didn't want to ride anymore. I wanted to drive. So, so I did that and I, I ran the stadium series, the indoor stuff that yep. my dad permitted for the Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group. I, ran, I drove for Chevrolet for a number of years and had my own team and that stuff. So, um, yeah, I drove... Yeah, I like stadium stuff a little bit better than desert. I like the desert too, but the stadium stuff, I, I like that, you know, get after it, make it happen right, right now, you know. And, uh, I mean, we'd start with, I mean, we go to the races with four sets of body work, you know. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty violent, but really, really fun. I mean, my dad, you know, it's another thing my dad started, you know. So we were, so so can I tell another quick story? I mean, you tell as yeah. many stories you want. As <laughs> you want. <laughs> So we're uh, we're racing in Baja, and my dad and Parnelli Jones are pretty big rivals, and you all know how bad Parnelli is. I mean, he's he's a bad, fast man, and uh, so they uh, they start behind. I think Parnelli started three minutes behind us, and so they had a bet, a five hundred dollar bet, 
who would make it to Camelou first. Well, Camelou was, if I remember the numbers right, about 125 miles down the Baja Peninsula. But at that time, that first 125 miles was on the asphalt. So uh, they had this bet. So we start the race. We're in a pickup truck. He's in the big Ole Bronco, uh, which is, you know, a bad, bad machine. And so we start the race with four drag slicks, right? Because my dad's going to go on the asphalt. Anyway, we beat him down there and uh, we beat him to the, to the Camelou. And, and so uh, we changed tires, put four dirt tires on it, and we're smoking it down through, uh, coming down into El Rosario. And there's this big long canyon. Parnella hadn't caught us yet, you know, so we're, we're pretty happy. And then all of a sudden, bam, he hits us from the back. <laughs> my dad says, where is he? Where is he? I said, what do you mean, where is he? He just hit us. And, uh, so he says, take your seatbelts off. Look where he is. Look where he is. So I'm, I got my shoulder harnesses off and I'm looking backwards and I'm doing the color uh, play-by-play commentary to my dad. He's on the right. He's on the left. He's trying to pass us. And I says, he's passing us on the right. No, he's upside down. And he's sliding on the side, hits another rock, bounces back up on the wheels and passes us. And just, <laughs> oh just leaves us. Right. So now my dad's driving really terrible. Going, what's wrong? Pay attention. You know, we're running off the road. We're hitting stuff. Oh, come on, come on. Let's go get it together. And he says, people have got to see what just happened. People have to see what just happened. And, and I'm going, just drive the race, you know, just keep on the road. But what that was, that was a start of short course racing. And oh, wow. my dad took the chunk of Baja and brought it into the stadiums. And we'd come in and we'd bring 25 million pounds of dirt and put it in the L.A. Coliseum or, uh, you know, different stadiums. And uh, then we'd bring the trucks in and then people could sit down and they could watch 18 separate races in a three hour period. Get up between each race with my dad did what the attention span of the average person was eight to 10 minutes. Those races were all eight to 10 minutes. Then you could get up, you could grab a beer, a soda, a hot dog and um, a Coke or whatever, and come back and sit down and watch another race. Six different classes, 18 races in three hours. So it was just the guy was always thinking. But because of that race with Parnelli (laughs) was so aggressive and so good, he wanted people to see it. And so then that's when we started short course racing. So that, uh, yeah, I, as a kid, I loved watching, uh, the Mickey Thompson off-road series on TV and I, I, I would, I, you know, I just loved it. And then, you know, a lot of people don't realize Jimmy Johnson got, he start running that, right? Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. He had the oh, Chevrolet yeah. ride. I had the Chevrolet ride for those years. And then I left and, and went to run the company and Jimmy came in and, uh, and, I was I, I ran the company for a couple of years there, and uh, it was funny because we put this big Chevrolet was you know his guy, and he was a rookie. I mean the kid was like six or seven years old and came in and just nailed it. And he was you know he was a young man anyway, sixteen or something. And uh, we I put these big Chevrolet signs up, and we had Jimmy Jimmy Johnson and Ricky Johnson, the motorcycle rider. They were coming into the stadium for the opening ceremonies, and we had this big sign, and Jimmy was supposed to, like, crash through this sign, this Chevrolet sign, and come into the stadium off this big jump. The guy jumped so far, so high, he went over the top of the stage <laughs> and landed way at the bottom. It was just like, you know, I mean, yeah, the, the guy, I call him a kid. He's not a kid anymore, but amazing, amazing right from when he was really young, you know, and his dad was there working for B.F. Goodrich so he could be there right next to Jimmy all the time, and yeah. 
So yeah, that's where Jimmy got to start. So yeah, pretty amazing. And everybody got to uh, the world got to know Robbie Gordon. <laughs> Rob, I mean Robbie was Robbie was he, Robbie's Robbie, you know. And uh, that's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and and just an amazing can drive anything anytime. But yeah, Robbie and I, Robbie and I had a had a hell of a race. Right, I think it was his very first race, Anaheim. Um, I think I was lucky enough to sit in the pole, um, and then during was it the main event? I think it was a main event. No, it was a heat race. And uh, so uh, anyway, I was leading, and no, uh, somebody else was leading. The Mazda was leading, and uh, he got upside down. I hit him, and it knocked the hood up over the top of my. Uh, I couldn't see the hood folded up over the what the what would be the windscreen and uh we ran i think six laps in the lead with the hood up looking out looking out the side and uh then robbie passed us and went on and won the race and that was kind of the start of his you know he had raced buggies and stuff but that was the start when he really 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 got the start that kind of really kick-started his career but yeah the guy could drive anything and drive it fast and still does you know and now oh, his yeah. kids what his kids his kid ran uh Last week, I think, down in, I guess, Florida. in Florida. And uh, okay. I mean, I forget how old he is, Max, but he's like 12 or 12 or 12 13, or 13 years like that, yeah. old or something. Yeah. And went out and actually ran pretty good. Rob, Robbie ran behind him for a few laps and then uh, then passed him. But yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some pretty big, you know, uh, Jeff, Jeff Ward, mm -hmm. um, the Supercross rider ran in there. Ricky Johnson, you know, Ricky was, you know, he was awesome in anything he drove. So uh, Ivan Stewart, of course, who's getting that's got nominated into the Motorsports Hall of Fame America um, for this year. So yeah, some uh, uh, the Millens, both Rob and uh, uh, Steve. So yeah, some heavy, Walker Evans. You know, I mean, yep. yeah, big big Mears. time. Yeah, Mears. I mean, Roger and yeah. Rick. I mean, you know, Rick won the Coliseum in '79, yeah. right after he won the Indy 500 for the first time. <laughs> so yeah, both the Mears and I think Mears. Uh, Roger is probably my favorite all-time, you know, off-road rider. Rob McCachron, um, you know, so yeah, some heavy hitters came out of there. I met uh, I met Roger. Uh, he was driving for Grant King. Uh, my dad worked yep. for Grant, and um, around '81, I met him a couple of times. He ran fifth at uh, Mid Ohio driving for Grant. Yeah, was that uh, in the machinist car? No, it was before that. that. Was it was. Before it was that. Uh, yeah. I forget it was it was just a kingfish, you know, blue one of yeah. Grant's cars, yeah. you know. It was before uh ground effects had really totally taken over. And, yeah. Um yeah, no, Roger was a good dude. I remember um I walked in a trailer and uh you know, of course back then it's just an old enclosed trailer and Rick's laying on the floor and he and Roger are sharing, you know, different stories about, you know, different parts of the track and how to get yeah. to it. You know, it it, you know, I was about ten at the time, but it, it was uh, it was really neat to see. You know, just good guys. Yeah, yeah, good guys for sure. I mean, look, I mean, that's what I mean. Uh, Rick started. You know, he was doing that off road stuff and running Ascot and off road cars, and and I think if I remember the story right, I mean, Rick met Roger Pinsky on the Colorado Five Hundred motorcycle ride. Yeah, you know, so and and. And that's what I think he was actually. Rick was driving. I think he drove for Simpson. Yeah, he drove that car, just, that just pink car. When that when that pink yeah. or something like that, that pink car yeah. for Bill. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Look where look look where he went, and he's still involved. Yeah. And it's nice to see him out there. You know, oh yeah. Not racing, but you know, uh, coaching. 
Did you? Uh, there's a great thing on YouTube of uh, I believe it's on YouTube of uh, Rick taking Jimmy Johnson around the speedway in a oh yeah car. it's on YouTube and or and I said rental car it was like a Corvette or something it was but, a pace uh, car the brickyard yeah. I think and they're you know Rick's t- showing him his line and and all that and I mean Rick is giving a master class on getting around the yeah. speedway. Yeah, too bad Jimmy's not running the speedway. I, I would have liked to have seen that, but you know, just I running the road courses. To. But I think he's going to because I was hearing he's going to do it in 2022. And I, I mean, I guess if he wanted to do it this year, um, I'm sure there would be a car and become available pretty quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, he's got that car. I mean, he gave it to Canon. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Canon, yeah. So I mean, he, he was running fairly quick there on uh, Saturday. Canon was in that thing. So, but yeah, but TK TK's mighty fast on those ovals. Oh yeah. yeah, boy, you give him a sniff at this year's 500. Man, if he if he gets a sniff at it, it's he's gonna be hard to beat. Yeah, agreed. Because he wants a he wants a bad. Yep. I think the whole mean, team's gonna be hard to beat. I mean, just yeah. look at look, look at, at Palou. Palou. I mean, rookie yeah. and well, not rookie, but his first year with um, it was second year in IndyCar, first year with Chip, and I mean, winning yeah. your first race. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. So that you said that impressive. you said that you had uh, really wanted to run Indianapolis, and it, it was it. What was the allure of Indianapolis for you? I mean, because it's not, and I understand the allure of Indianapolis, but from your background, it, it's a little different. You know that you come more from the drag racing and the and the more of straight line speed world. Right. So. You know, I mean, I can just, I can remember, you know, before it was even tev- televised, you know, listening to it on the radio um, with my dad and my mom and, and just, and uh, listen to those voices and, you know, neighbors sing. And, you know, when Jim Neighbors sang, sang the, the deal back home in Indiana, it's just all of those things. That's just, that's all I wanted to do in life. And, and I got pretty close, but my dad, uh, those doors that were just barely open, um, you know, when I, I won the Atlantic Championship in uh, for SCTA in uh, SoCal, and so the doors were just opened, and uh, I found out a lot later that my dad had uh, my dad closed those doors and uh, oh. didn't let, didn't let it happen because he didn't want me to get hurt. You know, yeah. at the speedway. You know, he he had some you know some well, big issues there in, in the '60s yeah. at the speedway. So yeah, that was it, and. and you know, unfortunately, as as hard as I tried, it just the opportunity never uh, never happened. So when your dad was at Indy, did were you, were you ever there with him? I was little, you know. So right. um, yeah, so you, I, yeah, I was too I was too small, and you know, it, you know, you guys both have been around the speedway enough. You know how when you're a worker, um, you don't have time for anything else. I mean, mm-hmm. when I worked there for I worked for Danny Angaias for a number of years, and uh, for Interscope Racing, and uh, we called it. And Phil Casey was the crew chief. And we called it the 90 days of May, you know, because that's how hard you work, you know. <laughs> so Yeah. That's uh, – and people, I think, the general people listening, especially younger people listening, probably don't understand why your dad was so against you racing. But Aaron and I had this conversation the other day, and people today don't – I mean, you know, you see 14-year-olds in sprint cars. Well, yep. a, a 14-, 15-year-old kid in a sprint car when I was a kid – I mean, you know, that was, you would be looked at, if you had your kid in a sprint car at that age, you would be looked at pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, and and your, your dad grew up and had a different time where, I mean, these race cars, it's sad to say, they, they took people's lives on a regular basis. Yep. 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 And, 
you know, my dad lost uh, Dave McDonald. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it was so that those things always stuck in my head. But I mean, when Al Jr. started driving, driving sprint cars, I mean, you know, the guy was sitting on pillows, you know, and he was one of the young, young guys. He was probably the guy that started that young thing. But I mean, other guys that that were at the Speedway and stuff and winning the Speedway and stuff. I mean, I mean, how old was Bobby? Uh, God bless him. Um, when he started, was he like 28 or something the first year he's at the Speedway? So, I don't know the exact, yeah. but you know, somewhere back in there. So you didn't start young in those days. And what's crazy about that is, uh, again, another Parnelli story. And I didn't even realize this until I heard Bobby telling it that Bobby didn't think he was good enough to run the Speedway. Didn't think he had what it took. And Parnelli convinced him to come back and convinced him to go talk to Grant Telly. Then yeah. he... Then he went down and had a face-to-face with uh, Harlan Fangler and, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, made sure that he understood Bobby was going to take his uh, rookie test and because uh, Parnelli believed in him that much. Yeah, yeah good, good for PJ. I mean, thank you, PJ, for that. You know? Right. Because, oh, I mean, yeah. What a, what a character. You know, what, a, what an icon in, in that Oh, industry. absolutely. And, I mean, you could talk to the guy and you just – when you left talking to the guy, you'd just be smiling, you know. So, and and him up in the booth. I mean, as much as he did in the speedway when we when he went in the booth, I I loved it when he was up there. You know, so yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sad sad day. But anyway. it, it is. It, it really it truly is. And uh, boy, we lost a great one today. I mean, that yeah. that's for sure. Um, so you said that you I didn't realize you'd run some sprint cars in that. Yeah, yep. I run CRA stuff. So uh, I only ran about six months. I was doing off-road stuff, and uh, but we uh, we certainly didn't set the world on fire. I mean, we were running against Dean Thompson and Bobby, right. and you know those guys. So I was a rookie, but and I got I got hurt in Mexico, and um, so that kind of ended my sprint car deal. I got uh, it of all things, I ate some bad food, and it almost killed me. I spent 17 days in trauma, oh, know, trying, wow. trying to get well. But uh, but that kind of that was during my rookie season. Then I I went on to you know, other things. So, but, but I enjoy the CRA stuff. So, um, you know, Jeff Haywood was running and, you know, there was, there was, uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, I mean, Dean and Bubby, I mean, holy smokes, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, old Bub, man, it, there's another guy, again, the guy I was lucky enough when I had my shop, Bub would come in and we had CNC stuff at the time. And like, he would say, man, I'd just like to make this. I'd just like to make it a little different. This is how I'd like it. And, and uh, there, there are definitely uh, Justin Grant is his uh, son-in-law, mm-hmm. and um, I know that they do things a little. I, I don't know what they do, but they know they do things a little different. Kind of Bubby has kind of his uh, like little guys who you know that he worked with that they have their ways of setting the cars up, and you know it, it's it's pretty it's it's not funny, funny, but it's funny. Like these guys just, I mean, whatever Bub said, that's, that's what goes. Yeah. 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 Well, it, you, that's respect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's, um, and you, and you were talking about even something earlier about your dad. And, um, do you think that like motorsports today, do you think it would even interesting because it would be maybe the land speed stuff, but with how it's become so, um, you know, you buy stuff off the shelf and it comes from manufacturers and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's kind of why my dad went into the off-road deal um, because mm-hmm. the off-road deal is completely open. And, right. and you look at, you know, fabricators and, 
and stuff nowadays, uh, the off-road guys, and I'm not involved, you know, with that too much anymore. I went and ran the bio a thousand uh, a few years ago uh, with Reed Rutherford, a guy here in Colorado, and we were fortunate to to win our class. And I had never won the thousand before, so that was pretty cool. But you look at the things that these guys are doing in off-road and the engineering, and I mean, these guys got 36, 40 inches of wheel travel, and the thing turns. And I mean, it's in the shock absorber. And I mean, that's why my dad kind of went into that deal because it was open. There wasn't any restrictions. You know, it wasn't like going, when my dad went to the speedway, he had a lot of problems with USAC. You know, he, he brought that, he brought that, you know, wide oval tire. And my dad had the patent on the wide oval tire. You know, I mean, so he brought, he brought different things in, but when they when they started restricting him for all those things, I mean, he had ground effects in a '64 car. It might have been ground defects, you know, at the <laughs> time because it wasn't developed. But you know, he, and so he was always thinking and always, and he was always had his hands tied behind his back so many times. Um, so that's why he really liked the off-road deal. And you know, all of all of our cars were really radical, and and most of the time they didn't get to the end, but they were certainly the fastest to checkpoint one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, I was talking to we were talking about Parnell and I, and I asked him one time I said with today the way it's where is today would you like leased engines that sort of thing because you, then you have no kind of what your budget is you know your leased engine in your car and he goes oh. no he said nah he said he said for me I race in what I consider the greatest period of auto racing yep. Yep. and he goes because I loved it being open and, and that's and my dad who was a chief mechanic back in, you know, in the seventies and, and, uh, late sixties and seventies. And that he's the same way. Uh, the, a lot of those guys, I just, this type of racing just doesn't even excite them like spec type racing. And, you know, I definitely feel like the, you know, back in that time, it was a lot better for, you know, the innovators, people like Mickey Thompson, sure, sure. they could really, you know, kind of use their imagination and basically do whatever they want. I mean, if you look at all the cars that Mickey brought to the Indy 500, um, I think my favorite was the, I think it's called the the roller skate car. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite too. I have that car sitting in my shop just oh, wow. about 100 feet from us. That's my favorite car of all of all of the cars that my dad built. Uh, that, and this one's all titanium. It, when my dad went to the Speedway with that car, so it had full body work, the fenders were covered, it had 12 inch wheels and tires um it was like it was so ahead of its time and the speedway just you know killed him on everything i mean they took the tires away from him they put 15 inch tires on then the thing looked like a praying mantis you know going down the deal and then you know he's still trying to run it but you know you're not doing good and you're getting criticized and i mean that's when he um he had sears sears build tires for him you know, his, 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 because Goodyear and Firestone wouldn't build them. And then, you know, then they took all that stuff away from him. So I think, you know, you had the Clint Epperleys in and the Grant Kings in, and you had all these guys that built their own cars and came to the Speedway. They didn't go to the truck and buy the parts, you know. Right. So I, I, I think it was the greatest era in certainly Speedway racing. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm a big single open wheel fan, a uh, huge open wheel fan. But now, I don't know. And everybody crashing on the first lap. I'm just a little tired of it. I want to see. I don't want to see crashing. I hate crashing. I want to see racing. You know. I'm same way. Yeah. 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 That's that's uh, that's a big thing with me too. I, I I hate to see guys crash, especially early, because it destroys the race. And yeah. uh, and I I I get it 
I get it from both sides. I understand why they're spec racing because uh, the cost, you know, especially in the cart days, the cart days, the costs were pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we don't have cigarette money today to finance a lot of that. Uh, I get it, but at the same time, it, it does lose something. And and you were talking about as a kid listening on the radio, and and uh, and certainly when I was uh, a kid too, you know, cars, certain cars kind of had a life of their own. And like even before me, like you know, a team, uh, you know, like say even uh, Agajanian's car, old Calhoun, or um, you know, people, people, you know, there were some fans that just loved that. And today, you can't, you know, you take uh, you take all the vinyl off them; they all look exactly the same. Yeah, right? well, that's it. You can't, you know, I mean, it's, it's like cup racing, you know. Right. You take the vinyl off, and, and what's the difference between a Chevrolet or a Ford or, you know, a Toyota? So. I don't know. Um, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm 71 years old now, so I'm a little bit old school. So, um, yeah. But still want to go fast. Still want to build another car. Still want to try to go, you know, break the existing records. So. So what's your what's your goal at the land speed? Where where do you want to where do you want to push it to? I wanna I wanna build a new car of my own, you know, my own design. I have Tim Gibson as my uh, aero engineer and mechanical engineer, and he was on C2 on uh, Challenger 22. So yeah, I'd like to build a new car. Um, nobody's gone over 500 yet with a piston powered car. Um, so my, my goal would be certainly to beat our record. Our, uh, we still hold the record in, in a fuel at 448. Um, George Poteet went faster than us last year, um, in the blowing class We're so we're injected. He's blowing. So, uh, he set a record in that class. So we have our record. He has his, but his is faster than ours. So, um, and there isn't any overall record. There's, it's not classified that it's classified as classes. So, um, but uh, he's the bad man now. So, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to build a new car. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to put sponsorship packages, partnership packages together now, and uh, we are we already have the initial design um, kind of kind of figured out. You know, just on scratch paper. Tim Gibson and I talk uh, every couple of weeks on new ideas and what we're going to do. So, yeah, we're looking for sponsors and you know trying to come up with that and. It'd be it'd be nice to be the first piston car over 500. Um, I don't know if that's possible. I mean, you know, every every 10 miles an hour. I think to go so kind of an example. So we went 450. If you wanted to go 550, and I don't I don't know if that's possible in a piston powered car um, with the distance and everything we have. But Gibson ran the numbers, and to go 100 miles an hour faster it takes 82 percent more horsepower. Who? It's you know, a lot the, more the piece of piece of plywood keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger that you're trying to push through the air. So, so, right. um, you know, and, and once again, it's all about traction, you know, and it's all about mother nature. Is she going to be nice to you? Is the salt going to be good this year? Is it going to be rough? I mean, when we ran, we ran 435 in 2017. And when I went by the three mile mark, it was so rough. The sign, the mile marker, as I mentioned earlier, four feet by four feet with a, you know, two, three, four. When I went by the three, I couldn't see what the sign said. It was it was shaking that hard. So we were still managed to run 435, but you know, we put six rods out the side of the front motor on the return run. So, um, but yeah, so you you got, you know, there's things at Bonneville you can't control, you know, the weather being, you know, weather and traction being the biggest part of it. So, so it's, uh, it's certainly a big ask to go. You know, I think there's only been 12 people ever to go over 400 mile an hour with a record in a piston powered car so you know you got the altigs and 
and the Poteets and we were and uh, uh, one of my heroes, Al Teague, you know, so uh, Summers Brothers, my dad, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's not easy, but I'd sure like to, you know, 71, I got some laps left, you know, so, I mean, I train every day, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready, I want to, I want, I want one more go. Yeah, that's awesome. What type of, what type of training, what do you think is the best type of training for that? You know, it's just me just to stay in shape. You know, I, uh, I have that competitive attitude and I don't want to get beat. I ski, I ski a lot in the wintertime, you know, about here in Colorado and, uh, you know, hell, I'm, I'm the best skier there is on the whole mountain going up the chairlift. I don't run out of talent until I get to the top, <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, no, I just, I just like to do that. And, you know, so I, I train, I train seven days a week. My wife is, uh, my wife is really, really in shape and, like I'll I'll be kind of moaning and groaning about hurting, you know, broken back, broken neck, all this different stuff, and and she says, "Why are you sitting there? Why aren't you up moving? Why aren't you doing, you know?" So so she keeps me motivated, and uh, yeah, I just yeah. So I don't you know, for Bonneville's not so, so, so specific like uh, you know maybe Indy cars or or F1 or that kind of stuff. You know, you don't have to be in that kind of shape, but the better shape you're in the better everything works, the better your brain works, the better, the better everything works, you know? So, and I would uh, imagine like reaction time, it would be a big thing with, with that too, right? Because something goes wrong. It probably goes wrong pretty quickly and fast. Yeah. When you're going two and a half football fills a second. Yeah. Yeah. You better, uh, yeah. You better be as quick as you can anyway. So, um, yeah. So I think, you know, staying in shape, you know, right now, you know, ski season was over two weeks ago. So now it's, you know, back to, we just, you know, we just work. We don't go to the gym with other people or any of that kind of stuff. We just, we're way up here in the mountains and, you know, down a dirt road and, you know, so eight miles of dirt road if you come from the back way to get to us. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I got my shop up here and all my stuff and all my fab equipment and, you know, that stuff. So now if we build another car, we'll go back down to LA because there's a lot of really good skiers up here and mountain climbers, but nobody can weld very well. <laughs> <laughs> What the, now that was something I was going to ask you earlier. I kind of forgot. When you get done uh, with a weekend of runs, does the car have a lot of like the frame? They have a lot of twist or that sort of thing. The biggest problem is the salt. The salt just eats it. I mean, it'll it'll eat the car. It'll eat the car in two in a couple of years. So, um, you know, running you know a, a fuel motor, you got to go through. You got to go through the, the bottom end. You know, pull the bearings, look at the bearings every run and that kind of stuff. So maintenance is high. I mean, we use, um, so we got to change after one run, we got to change oil in both engines. So that's, you know, that's 10 gallons of oil. We use almost 50 gallons of fuel to go five miles. Um, so the economy isn't too good. But <laughs> if, if you have the money and the people and everything, you should take it completely apart down to bare frame from, from year to year. So you can clean everything up, but the salt gets places that that you can't get to. I mean, because it's basically it turns to water um, inside. You know, there's so much water coming off the tires and everything. It gets everywhere. So um, you know, all the electrical connections and all of the different things, fuel and you know, it's yeah, it's tremendous maintenance deal. You get to run basically. You get to run one time or maybe two times if you're lucky a year. And if you get rained out, then you got to wait a year. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different animal. Like I said, you got to throw everything that you know about racing out the window. 
to go to go do the Bonneville deal. So it's only and August. I can still do it when you're old. You can still do it. You know. Right. So it's only. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously you proved you can. I mean, how, how old were you when you broke the record? Uh, 68. Yeah, 68. No, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, Man, that, that's that's just amazing stuff. That that just that is just that raw speed. Um, man, just trying to catch that raw speed. It's hard to do, right? I mean, it's all, it all seems really simple, but boy, it gets really complicated. It gets really complicated. And like I said, it's so, it's so different and everything, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if you ever get a chance to go to Bonneville, I mean, it's a bucket list thing, but it's just, you go there and, and you get addicted, you know, you just keep coming back. I mean, there's guys up there, um, and, and girls, that are running that are that are that are old there's one lady on a motorcycle that runs up there and she's got records i think she's close to 80 years old you know so um yeah you need to go to bonneville you, i'm you, going to bonneville it's, i'm it's, going yeah no i've always wanted to go it's, Can something you, that, it's so much yeah so so is it sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but so is it open to the public like during the speed weeks or how does that work anyone yep. can go just show up and pay your money and i think uh the, it's a pretty big hit if you stay for a whole week. I think it's forty bucks for the <laughs> passes for all week. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, it's and like I said, you can. And the thing that's so cool about Bonneville is you can go in anybody's pit. All right, nobody cares. You just go in their pit, and and rather than kick you out for taking pictures or something, more than likely, you know, they're going to offer you a soda and and make you a sandwich and hand you a wrench. You're going to be on the team. And I mean, you can go up there and and come in somebody's pit and actually work for them all week. You know, these aren't professional, uh, you know, big professional teams. And these are just guys up there racing. And so it's, uh, yeah, you can just go, show up. You want to go like Speed Week, I think it starts. We, my wife and I were just looking at it. I think it starts the 7th of August this year. And the first two days are, are the biggest. And that's when usually the, the big numbers get laid down the first couple of days. But but they race all week. And um, so you, you run, you do a run if you break a record. That means you qualify. You go back to impound. You got four hours to work on your car and prep it for the next morning, and then you get to make your return run the next morning. So you have to beat the existing record by you know whatever it is one percent or something. So you got four hours to to get it get it all together and go again the next morning. You got seven o'clock in the morning, and and go. So and like I said, anybody's pit. You can just walk in, say hi, you know, and you're part of the team. <laughs> it's cool. It's really cool. You don't get kicked out, you know, for, you know, how, how fussy or how hard is it to get in a, in a Winston Cup or excuse oh, me, Winston Cup. Yeah. I'm dating myself, <laughs> uh, you know, a cup pit, you know, or, sure. or get in the IndyCar garage, you know, you got to have a lot of suction to get in those places. So. So who owns, so who, owns, and this may be a cra crazy question, but I don't know, like who owns the, um, like the, the soft flats, like, like who puts it on or like, I guess who gets the money for it? So the BLM owns it, uh, Bureau of Land Management. And okay. they, and then, so the sanctioning body, which there's two different sanctioning bodies at Bonneville, SCTA, mm -hmm. uh, Bonneville Nationals, and then there's a Utah salt flat racing. So they rent the salt from, gotcha. um, but they don't, they don't make any money. There's no, I think there's maybe two paid people and, um, everybody's volunteer they come up there they take they take a week off uh a week's vacation and go up there and work their tails off in 110 degree sun all day long and so um 
Yeah, it, so SCTA, Southern California Timing Association, runs the that run Bonneville Speed Week, and then Utah Salt Flats Racing Association runs their own races called World of Speed. So SCTA runs Speed Week in August, and then they have a final event in the end of September, um, which is like a three-day meet, So, which is cooler. You make a lot more horsepower at that time of the year. Um, that you do during speed week when it's so hot, you know, I mean, you're sitting on the start line bolting in that car, you know, 110 degrees with, you know, 15% humidity. Definitely will melt you down. I was watching something once about, (laughs) no, I definitely want to go. Me and my dad were talking about that. Actually, um, that was the one year I met to at SEMA, which was 2019. Um, yeah, last year's got kind of got me messed up on the times, but yeah, it was 2019. We were looking to see how far the salt flats were from Vegas and they, I forget the exact distance, but it was pretty far. Um, so we, we were thinking about, you know, going there, obviously they wouldn't be running then, but it would just be cool just to see it. And I don't well, like, can you like drive? Can, so can you drive like out on the salt flats? Yeah, it's not encouraged because you get people out there doing donuts and, and, you know, Oh, I bet. Kind of trying to break their own records. Tear, tearing the salt, yeah, tearing the salt up, and they get out there and get stuck. And you can get out there and get lost. I mean, I've been lost out there, you know, and I've been there for years. Um, but it's 90, 98 miles or 100 miles from Salt Lake City down I 80, you know, and from Las Vegas. So Las Vegas is about five hours, four and a half mm-hmm. hours from Vegas. So, yeah, but you can, I mean, fly into Salt Lake City, rent a car, go out there. Um, wash the car before you take it back to the rental agency <laughs> get the salt <laughs> off of it and cover the floor with the plastic so the salt's not in there because they'll charge you a thousand dollar cleanup fee if you bring it back dirty full of salt oh, sounds wow. like you have experience with that <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah you, you, yeah i mean we take our own cars there and you know so yeah it's, right i mean the place the place is just bitching well, and the great part about it, like you said earlier, it's Mother Nature, right? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's just a wonder of the world, and and you are able to adapt it to something that's extremely cool. Yeah. I think the first records were set there in, uh, wow, 1914. Wow. You know, so, I mean, you know, so, I mean, yeah, the place is, it's, yeah, got to go, got to go, guys. You gotta go there. I'm going. I, yeah, I, I'll, no, I, I get out I definitely there. want to go. Come, come if if we get sponsorship and build another car, come up when we run, hang out with us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's uh, this is it. it. I mean, that's that's it right there. Just on the flats. So so, if you can, you see the car from there. Is yeah. I, oh yeah. Yeah. So 36 inches wide, 32 feet long, 24 inches in the front. Two engines, six thousand horsepower, four wheel drive. So, and, and that car was designed by Ford and my dad in 1968, and you know went 450 miles an hour in 2018. So, um, yeah, you can you can take old cars, new cars, in between cars, any cars. Now, was Ford uh, Ford a part of any of that run at all uh, when you when you went back since they helped design it, or they weren't interested in doing anything? They weren't. I tried to get them, you know, I mean, the history and they have a pretty big history in motorsports. But, yeah, uh, Ford didn't. I went to Ford. And cry, I mean, probably 3000 proposals. You know, I wow. started before before 2010. I had been trying to 
sell the project. But, you know, it was selling air and people are going, yeah, you're going to take a car that's that old and go up there and try to get a record. You know, impossible. It can't be done. So, you know, trying to find any sponsorship. And we don't have television. You know, we don't have spectators. We don't particularly have hospitality. You know, the three things, as you guys well know, that motorsports kind of thrives on. You know, we didn't have any of that. So you couldn't sell that part of the project. You know, you got you to gotta find a sponsor that's uh, as involved as you are and that wants to be involved and then, and then create uh, your own system to promote it and promote them. And that just doesn't happen in Bonneville. So, um, that's just, it's probably, it it's probably on one hand, a good thing because you, you keep a lot of that corporate out and, you know, you start, you get, say you get into a Ford Chevy Toyota battle and all of a sudden now they probably got giant haulers and engineers and yep. Yeah. And, then, and, and you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's the way the godfathers of, the salt, that's that's the way they feel. They don't want big sparks. To come yeah. You know, there's no money. I mean, you get, I got a little black hat that says I'm a member of the 400 mile an hour club <laughs> and I got a trophy. And uh, mm-hmm. that, but that was the most mean, expensive hat I ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that hat and trophy, though, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of things from this sport and your years in the sport that mean a lot. But boy, right. Those, they could, people couldn't buy them from you, right? I mean, yeah. they, yeah. you know, I mean, you just, and you know that's kind of what sold, it is. You know, yeah, I sold that car last year, and um, at Meekum Auction, and um, was just a heartbreaker to do it. But you know, it, it cost us everything we had to do that, and uh, you know, we sold that car, and we certainly didn't make any money. But we don't owe anybody any money, and we have a record. So we're, uh, I don't have a car, but that's all right. We're, we're that all is good. that's a classic racing story right there. That. It, it, it's it's typical. It's yep. typical. So yeah. the old uh, how did you make a million dollars in racing? Well, I started with five, but yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. That's the story. <laughs> Listen to the one earlier and uh, with Jagger and and I. Yeah. We typically like to ask. Uh, we we try to give you a, the person we're speaking with a chance to talk about somebody in auto racing that maybe uh, maybe that someone like your father who's such a giant influence to you. Or maybe there's someone else that you just don't, you know, that maybe other people don't know is a huge influence to you. Um, I mean, is there anybody like that? I mean, of course, your father is such a, a looming figure. I, we understand that, but. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a good question. And, and we could go for another two hours with a list of people, you know, <laughs> that are my heroes. And, and my, Danny Angaius is one of my uh, absolute biggest heroes. You know, um, fast and everything he ever drove. And, uh, and so on, guys, I mean, in, Parnelli, Mario, um, I mean, Al Teague, uh, Summers Brothers and, and Bonneville stuff. And uh, I mean, Bobby, who we just lost on Sunday. I mean, and I got so much respect for all those guys. I mean, Mario, huge. I mean, Schumacher, um, I mean, both both Schumacher and drag racing and Schumacher and F1 racing. Right. I mean, yeah. So besides my dad, probably couldn't. I mean, Parnelli. Uh, I mean, Parnelli's huge to me, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I could I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint that beyond my dad. But um, yeah, I just there's a ton. I got so much respect for you know so many people. Um, yeah, I got I got a lot of heroes. Yeah, well, I'm sure, and, and you got to be around them, and 
yeah. get to know these people. People and like you were mentioned, Danny and Gaius, and I've met Danny a couple of times, but from all accounts, one of the nicest human beings who's ever lived. I mean, yeah. for what yeah. I've you know, what I've gathered. Uh, and you know, and that's great. I mean, I, I, I love to hear uh somebody you know, I love to hear a nice thing about like Danny or yeah. you know, these these guys are kinda getting a little lost to time and it's it's kind of a shame, but yeah. it's yeah. nice to hear. Part of the deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we're losing so many of them here, you know, lately. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All those, all those guys are in their 80s and 90s. And it's going to happen, and, and you're sad, but but you're also, you know, thankful for what, what they gave the industry, mm-hmm. what they gave us in pleasure. And, absolutely. You know, that stuff, yeah. So, yeah. And we just interviewed um, Flynn Lazier last week, and obviously um, Buddy Lazier's son, um, and then the grandson of Bob Lazier, and Obviously, Bob passed away um, from COVID, and it was just amazing just hearing from Flynn. It, you know, it's kind of like, you know, with Mickey, um, you know, Bob was really kind of the driving force behind the, you know, the the whole racing dynasty with the Laziers. And he just, you yeah. know, as Flynn said, you know, he just did so much for, I mean, really for the sport and then for their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, the, and, and there's a thousand stories like that. So it's, you know, I, yeah, I, I certainly couldn't pinpoint that, but. Yeah. Did you know? Uh, now you may or may not. He's originally from California. Did you know uh, Steve Stapp, who built sprint cars, and and he and Pancho Carter were so successful in the seventies and that. Yeah. No, I, I didn't know. I know the name, but yeah, no, I yeah. Didn't know it. I I went to his memorial yesterday over at USAC, and uh, oh, and it was it was sad. I mean, it was a, you know there was a couple hundred people there, and it you know it was a great yeah. celebration of life. But again, a man who another man who. Definitely marched to his own drummer, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's so smart and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, great stories and funny man. Um, so, yeah, agreed. So, well, Danny, thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you so much. This was uh, really exciting for me once I started finding a little more about you. And, uh, man, if you guys got to get this project off the ground, A, I'm coming. To watch <laughs> and B, uh, we want you back on. Uh, cool. Just talk about it. And um, for anybody out there, again, please go see some of his videos on YouTube. Uh, man, some of those videos of his runs are pretty amazing. <laughs> and uh, hey, I did have one question for you. I noticed at the end of that run, you lifted the canopy, you know, before it stopped. And it, were you just trying to get air in? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean you're t- 110 degrees and you're and you're sweating yeah. and um, I have they don't let you have oxygen in the car but I have uh, scuba air you know because okay. of nitro oh. one engine's in front of me so you know you got you know 87 percent right. nitro and uh, you don't want to pass out at that speed um, so oh, yeah no. just to, just to get some air and to try to cool off and kind of go made that one yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if uh, I didn't know if the sand and that or sand salt coming off the front wheels did that get, does nah. it come can get you or no? No, we're 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 sealed off really 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 well to for to keep that from happening, you know. So okay, yeah, no, I just just wanted some air, and I mean it's you're probably oh I don't know 140 50 degrees inside. You oh, know, you're sitting in between two engines and and sweating <laughs> and you know losing. Uh, I have I don't have much body fat as it is, but you know you lose. You lose some pounds and everything in there. So if I build a new car, it'll have enough room to have a cool suit in it. You know, this car didn't have oh. any room to, you know, we had, we had, 
you know, 1968, all that stuff was built. And, um, you know, helmets are way bigger now. And, you know, all, everything's bigger. So trying to stuff me into that, uh, it took me weeks to learn how to get out of that car. Um, because part of part of safety inspection, scrutineering is they you all bolted in with your Hans device on and, and helmet and gloves and all that stuff. And then they say, okay, you're on fire. You got 30 seconds to get out. So you got to get the canopy open and get out of that thing. And it took me, it was so cramped. It took me forever. Um, and then finally, I just start, I'd eat my lunch in there. Um, you know, I just, I'd get more and more comfortable in the car. But yeah, it was really hard to get out. Sometimes I'd get stuck, couldn't get out. Um, you know, so finally learned, you know, finally learned a system. So yeah, tight stuff. And when your dad ran the Challenger 1, his head kind of snapped in. Fritz Foyt, who was his crew chief, uh, used to take his helmet and just shove it in and it'd pop it down underneath. And that was the same way, same way this one was. You know, okay. like I said, it was all built back then. So um, Frankie Hanrahan would take, uh, my crew chief would take and they would, I'd get all in like that and then they'd shove me and I'd pop in like that. So, but then getting out, you had to get, you know, everything had to be right. The Hans device was always you know, a problem getting out without it getting snagged. But, you know, I won't even go to the bathroom without a Hans device on, just in case I fall off the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Danny, uh, thank you so much for coming on our show. It, it, uh, again, it did mean a lot uh, to me and uh, great stories. And uh, we are definitely, I am definitely looking forward to going out there and watching you run again. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Aaron. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, good luck with your show. And I hope it grows and grows and grows and your audience grows. And and uh, cheers to you guys. Cheers. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Danny. Okay.